And welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Vazil. This is a show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, and we get to talk about everything in between. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, however you're watching, you know what to do. Like and subscribe on YouTube, five-star review on Spotify, five-star, and say something really nice about me on Apple. But more importantly, today, my incredible guest, I have Mark Kester. He's the founder of the Players NIL, former president and CEO of Sport Studio Ventures. Mark, how you doing today, man? Michael, nice to meet you. Thank you for having me today. Pleasure is all mine. Shout out, Todd, for putting us together. Todd's the best. I always love ha- every guest that Todd has ever sent me has been incredible. So, Mark, I expect nothing but the best from you today. Most importantly, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Well, that's a great question. And it's uh, something that I talk about with people all the time. So uh, I'm the oldest of three children. My father was a junior high gym teacher. He was a college athlete, a quarterback, and a, and a catcher in baseball. So I guess it was uh, destined or predetermined that I would somehow be involved in athletics. Um, but, you know, I think just being around him, you know, hanging around in gym classes, you know, watching him play adult league sports, um, it became part of our life and part of our passion. So it started at an early age, I would say, from my father. What is it about sports, though, right? Like, what what is it about sports? I mean, you've you've started in the apparel industry. You went into production, and then now you're in the education space, but all of it within sports, and we'll dive a little deeper on each of those. What is it about sports that, I guess, kept you around this long? Well, look, there's so many things that everyone talks about, the advantages uh, that athletes gain by participating. But I'll go back to my father, and he taught me at a very early age that, uh, you know, sports may be a, a way to better my life. It may be an opportunity to increase my opportunities in life. And I was fortunate enough to do that with a college scholarship. And then I was fortunate enough to take my father's lesson and and expand upon it and not only use athletics to better my life, but use athletics to better the lives of the people around me. And so that would be my community, uh, my neighbors, and particularly my family. I have five children, four of whom were college athletes. So, uh, you know, I think the answer to the question is, you know, who doesn't, uh, you know, love competition, who doesn't love to succeed. Uh, What people don't love is the challenges of defeat and setbacks. And so some people get away from that. Uh, Again, I was predetermined that I would be an athlete. Unfortunately, I'm not a NASA scientist. I'm not a rocket scientist. So athletics was my way to better my life. And, And I think there's lots of ways, you know, people use art and travel and science and math and media, you know, to, to create opportunities for themselves. I've been fortunate enough that athletics gave me that opportunity, and it became a passion. It not only is my career, but I am a true sports fan in every way. I love it. That's an awesome answer, man. And I think it's so important for people to understand, as you said, it was the opportunities that sports allowed you to have, right? You put the effort, the energy, the the expertise into it, and, and many different things have come from it. And I think that's the really important part. I'm excited to dive into some of those, right? So we talked about the apparel game. I saw you kind of were in the uh, the private label space, a uh, little little uh, sneak peek for everyone out there that doesn't know. All the big companies make all the private label clothes. I don't think people really understand that aspect of it. Uh, so I always think that's really interesting. Where, how do you how do you get into private label apparel? It's, it's such like a specific piece of the industry. What is it? that led you there and, and how did you, you know, take those successes from your previous life and, and pull them forward? So uh, I have uh, three distinct careers, right? The first one was uh, in my early career, right out of college, I was in the semiconductor business. A really, oh, yeah, an important qualification for apparel design and manufacturing, of course. Um, and then I was in manufacturing 
and my children were grown and gone. And some friends of mine from New York uh, were here in California and were acquiring businesses to create a sports and entertainment company. And part of the uh, initiative was they purchased a small mom and pop Hollywood wardrobe company that had a manufacturing component to it. And so I had had experience running sales teams and manufacturing teams and operationally I was very experienced, although I didn't know a thing about sewing machines or needles or, you know, inseams or all the things that I had to learn. And so I came to California and was thrust into a company called AIS uh, Apparel. And we're there we made not only the apparel for the sports and entertainment business, TV shows, commercials and movies, which we'll talk about with Sports Studio, but we did private label. We did... Um, lettering for professional teams. We did some design and development work for Under Armour and uh, Air Jordan and Reebok and some of those companies. So, you know, at the end of the day, every business is about selling and every selling component is about relationships and people. And whether it's customers or employees or your peers or your investors or your boss, it's about communication. And so I took a lifetime uh, in passion for sports, married, with, married it with my professional experience and voila, I ran a cut and sew shop here in Los Angeles. Would you look at that? I mean, if anybody put two and two together, it doesn't seem like that's going to equal four, but it ended, up, it ended up getting you there, which I think is really interesting. And as you said, you took the passion that you have. Like, that's the thing about working in sports, which I always love to talk about on this show. Like, um, if you're not playing on the field, there's going to be other aspects of any job that you take, right? If you're going to be in marketing, you're going to be in sales. Like, hey, you can sell tickets. You can sell sponsorship. You can sell suites. But at least you're doing it in the sports industry, right? At least there's it's coming from a place of passion. It's all those other things that you kind of have to learn. It's the the get to part is in the sports industry, right? You get to do it in the sports industry, which I think is really important for people to understand because it's just a whole industry, man. Anything you want to do, you can do in sports at this point, and even more opportunities are popping up. So it's cool that you were able to take that. Was was the impetus because you wanted to work in sports? Was it just that great of an opportunity? Was it because you wanted to move to California? Like what, well, I guess what, what, which piece, what's the, what's the pie chart look like there? Yeah. So it's some of all of that, you know, I think the California part of it was a piece of it, but not the majority. I think it was the opportunity to run my own company, you know, to take my experience and then to be able to do that and marry it with my personal passion of athletics, you know, so probably that was 40 and 40 and 20% was the move to California um, which turned out very well, but, uh, yeah, it was a combination of professional opportunity and personal, uh, you know, vision, I would say. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Nice weather never hurt. Right. I think that's always important for people to understand. So, uh, after, after spending a little bit of time and as you said, manufacturing and learning how to sew uh, my words, not quite yours, you then go into sports studio ventures, which when I was looking it up, it seems very, very different than what you were doing. It seems like you had licensing deals. You were working with films and commercials and TV and actors. And it was just kind of, it was difficult for me to wrap my head around how you were able to take what you learned in the apparel space and push it towards the production space and producing of content and films. Talk to me a little bit about uh, Sports Studio Venture. I want to make sure I have that right. Like what is what it is and where this idea came from that you thought, hey, you know, I can take x y and z from here and again pull it forward into this new opportunity so i have a I have a great story so first of all the two businesses were linked they were owned by the same ownership okay okay so so ais manufacturing we made uniforms for hollywood productions besides doing on-field uniforms for colleges professional high school and so a, a decent part of our business was supporting the production world so making uh, 
uniforms for commercials, TV shows, and movies. And the history of the company was since 1979, the first movie was North Dallas 40. And then every movie, you know, in our lifetime, you know, uh, Longest Yard, We Are Marshall, Any Given Sunday, Replacement, Miracle, yada, 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 right? So after running uh, AIS Manufacturing, I was given the opportunity to take over the whole um, family of business, which included the Hollywood component, which was called Sports Studio. And um, first day I'm on the job, literally sitting at a desk, a CEO of a 50-person company, and I had really no idea what I was doing. If, I, if you thought I knew nothing about apparel, I knew even less about Hollywood. But I got a FedEx letter from the National Football League, and it was a cease and desist letter saying that Sports Studio could no longer supply NFL uniforms to Hollywood productions. So there had never been any licensing uh, controls until you know sometime in the early 2000s when the NFL started to control all of the brands associated with the on-field uniforms. So the gloves and the shoes and the helmets. Prior to that, every team made their own apparel deal. You know, in, in the history of the NFL, you have many brands, including Logo Athletic and Puma and Champion and Reebok, you know, and now Nike today. So the sports studio had been given kind of carte blanche to make uniforms, supply uniforms to NFL commercials because there was no oversight. Well, they decided that the oversight was needed the day I started running the company. And so I took that opportunity, though, and I flew to New York and I sat down with general counsel and, you know, we got to what the nitty gritty was and they wanted to control the marks on camera. They wanted to make sure that the brands were authentic and that they had some say as to who was using the marks. And it was a great opportunity for Sports Studio to become their eyes and ears in Hollywood. And so we created the first ever entertainment license in the history of the NFL. And we represented the NFL in anything off the field uh, production wise, any entertainment project that required NFL marks. And then we took that license and we expanded it to the NBA, to Major League Baseball, U.S. Soccer, Major League Soccer. And so we really built a brand around licensing control of entertainment projects for all of these major sports leagues and all of their partners so that, uh, you know, we didn't have uh, productions out there that weren't authorized. That is one of the best stories of taking a negative and turning it into the positive that I have ever heard. I mean, like, just as you said, on the first day you received this letter. And it's, I mean, I could only imagine the emotions and the feelings that you were having, right? But then sitting down and figuring out, hey, like, this can be an opportunity and turning it into what I am going to just go out on a limb and assume is a huge revenue driver for the business at the time, especially. Like, figuring that out, where where did... I guess, where did the feelings of dread stop and the feelings of, hey, let's turn this, let's see how we can turn this into a positive and opportunity start? Yeah, so let's go back to the question about, you know, what prepared me for this job? Well, life skills prepared me for the job, right? So I'm a, I'm a pretty good reader of the room and I study human nature. And I don't sometimes don't ask, I don't uh, try to answer the question. I try to understand why was the question asked, right? What is that person thinking about? Right? The answer isn't even important. It's why they ask the question. And to me, the NFL's cease and desist letter was a question. And I was like, why did they ask that question? And I thought about it. And I'm, the first answer was revenue, right? They wanted royalties. The second was control. And the third was they wanted to protect their partners. And my instincts were absolutely correct. Those were the three reasons. And so, you know, what are relationships about, right? Mutually beneficial relationships, Michael, are where both sides win, right? 
And so that's what negotiation is for, you know, and not everybody gets everything that they want. The NFL had more lawyers than we did, but in the end of the day, I think we benefited and I think they benefited by solving a problem. And that's what I brought to the table was problem solving. I love that, man. Mark, that is an absolutely incredible way of going about it. I think that's super, super cool. So I guess what were some of the other pieces of the business that you guys are working with? As you said, you, you pretty much started to represent the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and, and and their partners within Hollywood. What does that look like? Like, are you guys just like an extension of them at that point and you can utilize some of those lawyers? Or like, how, how do you even go about those conversations, as you said, with the people in Hollywood to make sure that hey, they have to come to you if they want to do anything with any of these brands. Yeah, so the first part was to educate the sponsorship team at the NFL. So that's a group of 20-plus individuals that manage all of their partnerships. And if you understand professional sports, there's lots of revenue streams. You know, we think of tickets as one of them. Concessions is another. Television rights is probably the largest segment. But sponsorship is a big part of it. So when you watch a commercial and um, Aaron Rodgers is in the State Farm commercial, State Farm is a, a partner, right, in that category of insurance with the NFL, and they pay a lot of money for the rights to use NFL logos and to use NFL players. And so it was understanding those dynamics and what did the what did the partners at the party want? You know, the NFL wanted revenue, right? They wanted to protect their partners. They wanted to control who used the content. What did State Farm want, right? They wanted access to product. They wanted access to athletes. And they wanted to be compliant with the NFL because they didn't want to jeopardize their contract. So again, we solved the problem, right? We were able to answer the production requirements, which was always last minute, run around with your hair on fire things. That's the way Hollywood works, which is not a great way to run business. But we managed to overcome that with a thing called inventory. And so what we did was we invested heavily in authentic uniforms, authentic accessories that the NFL partners supplied to us. So that if State Farm called today and said, I need 10 Green Bay Packer uniforms plus an Aaron Rodgers uniform in Green Bay tomorrow, we could answer that. Now, we charge for it. You know, there's a price for everything because someone taught me a long time ago not to give you too many life skills. But there's, you can have three, you know, there's three things in life, right? You can have price, you can have quality, and you can have delivery. But you can only have two of them at one time, right? You can't have all three. So we had inventory and we had price. That was our that was our stroke of genius. Um, I can't say that it really was foreseen that it would grow like it did, but it worked out pretty well. Yeah, it sounds like it was the the perfect time to get into this side of the business. As you said, the NFL was really starting to crack down on owning the rights and the IP. And as we can see, right, that's a big reason why they are one of the most popular leagues, right? They were the first to say, let's make this thing 12 months long, right? There's about a half a month somewhere in like, I don't know, like June, July that doesn't get that much coverage. Everything else is NFL. They decided to take, uh, and they've done this for a little while now, right? But they've decided to sell the entire rights of the NFL rather than each team like the MLB does, how it's, oh, this team does this, this team does this. And you can see how revenue is a little different in places. Now the NFL is billion dollars. You want it? Give me a billion dollars for a year. We'll figure it out what they sign, $110 billion. So the 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 protection, the shield, right? I think the NFL, while working with them, can be a little frustrating at times. seems like you guys were on the good side. Um, that, that really does lead to them being able to kind of control the narrative, control the story, and be able to take advantage of that. And as you then said, hey, NBA, we're doing this here. Why don't we help you guys? Hey, MLB, 
why don't we help you guys? And I think that's just a great way of looking at it and being able to take advantage of that situation, as I said, which I think is just so cool. And yeah, don't hold back on the life skills, Mark. That's the whole point of the show. I try and take as many in, all the listeners. I'm sure they're very glad to have a little masterclass in business here for, you know, we'll call it 30, 35 minutes, which I think is awesome. Uh, so now I'm curious, right? So you're doing this absolutely incredible, incredible job at this, you know, at, at this company, probably having a really good time. I'm sure there's ups and downs, aren't there always? Where... Where do you see the need, the want, the, 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 the development in yourself to say, you know what, this was fun. I kind of want to go do something else. And it com- not completely different because, as you said, you were working with athletes already. But I want to go do something different in a different <laughs> space, the education space, working with college athletes, helping them with NIL. Before we actually get to what you're doing, I want to understand the thinking and the processing of I'm here, probably doing very well for myself and my family, as you said. That's why you got into this thing, having some fun, working with the biggest leagues on planet Earth. Let's now go work with individual athletes. Like where, where does that, I'm curious where, where the thinking comes from there. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, it was 14 years and it was time for me to do something different. We had done a lot of great things. And to your point, uh, my marketing manager said many years ago, and it was true that if you worked at sports studio, you're probably the coolest person at every party that you go to. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, we worked on incredible sets with, you know, Shaq and Kobe and, Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and Tom Brady and, you know, movies with Kevin Costner and, you know, just on and on and on. It was, it was pretty cool. And, and who doesn't love sports and entertainment? It's very sexy. Right. And so, but it was, it was time to do something different. So we sold the business in June of 2021. Didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Along came a spider and sat down beside me. And that was name, image, and likeness that we call NIL. And that started on July 1st of 2021. I was going to say that that timing is impeccable, right? Again, second time in a row, it sounds pretty impeccable. Yeah, absolutely no idea, no plan. I thought I was going to go back to work in production or go to work for a brand or uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to take some time off and play some golf and and have a few moments to myself. But name, image, and likeness started. And so that journey began. What was it about name, image, likeness that the kind of the light bulb went off in your head? Because as you said, it became legal. We kind of heard rumblings about it. And then the NCAA was like, all right, all bets are off. Whatever you guys want to do, go for it. Was it what, what about that moment made you say, I don't want to go golfing anymore. I want to start an education business centered around players and NIL. So, you know, many of my colleagues and people that I knew started, you know, saying, you know, what are you going to do? And said, you know, this is perfect for you. It's athletes, it's brands. It's, you know, I'm a little bit of a coach at heart, as you can tell. I had had some success you know, with my family, I had some success with employees over the years that have gone on and done great things. So I, I had some leadership, you know, skills in me. And so I started to look at the opportunities in name, image, and likeness. And it was the early days, and it's still early today, quite honestly. Oh, yeah. But it was after months of looking at it and talking to, you know, literally tens and tens, maybe a hundred people, you know, it was more of the same that I'd been involved with. It was, you know, brands and agents and agencies and adults taking advantage of athletes and taking advantage of ill-informed and uneducated athletes and that. And so in October of 2021, I started to think about what were the missing pieces. And you can see I'm, I'm a little bit of a visionary. You know, I don't always go down the same road as everyone else. I sometimes have ideas of my own. And so I started to create the players NIL in my mind. And I can tell you how that goes whenever you're ready. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, I realized that education was probably the thing that was missing. And remember, go back to my father. He was an educator, right? And his lesson in life to use athletics to better your life. 
And my version of it is to use athletics to better the lives of the people around me. So during this process, um, a little bit of a personal note, my father passed away, okay? And he was 85 years old, and he was a junior high gym teacher. And it took me four pages of single-line handwriting notes to write his obituary. And I was like, this is a guy that has a legacy, that has built something, that he's influenced people, you know, whether it be his community, his church, his peers, um, you know, and 500 people showed up at his funeral, right? A junior high gym teacher in the middle of Long Island, like nothing of note, you know, but the word legacy came to me and I started to think about my own legacy. And while I've had success in business and while my family is, I'm very proud of my family, I thought there was more that I could do. And I thought that if I could create an educational platform to give back to student athletes and help them in this new world of name, image, and likeness, that would be a pretty cool thing. And so I began to, you know, build that and communicate with people and, and build a plan. And on January 12th, 2022, we put a website up. Um, I had no employees. I had no product. I had no curriculum. I just had a vision. And uh, I had a, a website developer that liked what I was doing, and she wrote most of what's on the website today. And that's how we started. That is awesome, man. That was beautiful about your father. Uh, obviously, that is, that is so incredible that that many people, as you said, showed up. And it seems inconspicuous, but obviously teachers, especially gym teachers, there was always something about gym teachers. If you got a good one, it really meant something. It really did something. So I think that's incredible that that, uh, that did happen. So kudos uh, and congratulations on all that. I think that's amazing. Uh, the fact that you were then able to put this together, I guess, like, where does something like that start, though? Like, you're like, hey, I want to educate people on NIL. First off, no one really understood, especially back in July of 22, right, or 21. No one, no, so it was like, so like anyone can sign a deal? Like, does it matter the dollar amount? Like, I know boosters can or can or, like, there was really nothing to know because it was so wild westy, I guess. Where do we even start with saying, this is the type of curriculum I want to put together. This is what I think athletes need and how I can help them. Yeah, so that's a great question. And so it goes back to your original question of, you know, how did one career lead to the other? So my experience at the sports studio was in branding, was in marketing, was in sponsorship, right? Was in athlete agent relationships. So I understood the dynamics. And again, being a little bit of a visionary, I was able to say, you know, what are the pressure points? You know, what are the pain relief points that need to be relieved? And so I created the five pillars curriculum on what I believe and still is what we launched are the five basic pillars that every student athlete needs to at least understand, if not master, in order to maximize personal branding and therefore name, image, and likeness. Those pillars are? Don't hold back, man. Let's do it. Okay. So the pillars are, are really easy and they're, and they're made in sequence. So the first one is digital marketing and personal branding. So, you know, it's not about going somewhere on Saturday night and taking a selfie at the bar and getting all your friends to like it, right? That's not personal branding, right? That's social media. Well, it worse. is personal branding, but maybe not the correct personal branding. Well, it's not right? going to get you any. It's not going to get exactly. you any money. Let's say that, right? Uh, hey, maybe the bar will sponsor you, but anyway, keep going. Keep there you going. go. So you know, but how do you how do you tell how do you tell a story? How do you create an audience? You know, what is uh, what is your messaging, and how do you build that? Right. So that's pillar one. Pillar two is if you're successful with one, is how do you leverage that with brands, and we call that influencer and brand relationships. So. All right, I've got 5,000 followers, 10,000 followers. I've got 30,000 followers. I only have 300 followers, right? Those are all different stories. And there's a brand for each one of those. But who are they? And how do you identify them? And what do you 
talk to him about? And what does that negotiation look like? And what is that relationship? What are the deliverables? What are the asks? Again, back to my philosophy about pressure points, right? You know, what are the pain thresholds of the brand that you, you can relieve or that you can help with, right? So that's pillar two. Pillar three is a little bit more mechanical. It's tax, legal, and compliance. So these kids are getting 1099. Right? Yep. It's, the stories are out now. Wait till yep, April, already. by the way. We're gonna, it's uh-huh. going to be craziness. You know, they don't have any idea about withholding. They don't have anything, any idea about savings, which we'll talk about. The, the legal is, you know, what does the contract look like? You know, the horror stories in the first 12 months of NIL of kids signing deals for 200 bucks that gave away their lifetime rights in a product category, crazy, you know, or lifetime rights in general, you know, name, image, and likeness. So, you know, basic contract concept, basic words that you should at least understand so that if you engage in a contract, you can have someone review it and you can be educated to make sure you ask the right questions. Compliance is a little bit tricky because there is none right now, right? There's essentially the NCA, as you said, the Wild West. But as Nick Saban said in the SEC football meetings, we're going to get guardrails, right? There's going to be some pullback because it's so crazy and out of control. So that's pillar three. Pillar four is my father's pillar. It's community service and philanthropy. And so it's a great way to build a brand. It's a great way to give back, which, you know, I think is, you know, we're trying to better human and, and, and the culture and, and try and improve the image of student athletes, you know, that they do care about where they came from and they do appreciate the people that supported them. And then there's the mental health aspect of community service. And that is, you know, there's so many kids that their whole self-worth and self-image is about sports and sports only. You know, if you can build some self-image outside of sports through giving back and community service, that's a great thing, we think. So that's pillar four. Pillar five is the culmination, if we're successful with all those, and it's financial literacy, right? So basic concepts. And so, you know, these five pillars, Michael, are, are certainly geared towards name, image, and likeness, but they're really life skills, right? They're really skills that every 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old should probably take. And so we're really proud of the curriculum and we're really proud of uh, the content in there. And hopefully we're going to change lives. I think that is awesome. Uh, the Those last three, especially, right? Understanding the first two is a necessity. If you're trying to become an advocate, a brand you know, ambassador, that's a necessity, right? Those last three are life necessities. I, I mean, we've already heard of, I think it was Quinn Ewers now at Texas. He he left Texas high school early to go to Ohio State to take advantage of NIL. Turns out he signed a contract that said if he didn't play, you don't get any of the money. I'm sure he posted some stuff on his Twitter. I'm sure he posted stuff on social media. So he gave a brand a bunch of stuff, didn't get anything back for it. So that's already on the contract side. As you, you already alluded to, some of these athletes that sign these, you know, quote unquote, now lifetime deals for one or two social media posts, and it just totally screws them out of that. The tax implications... They're getting paid up front. They're 1099, right? They're not withholding any of that. And then at the end of the year, the government says, you owe me $100,000. That's a lot of money. It's kind of difficult to do that kind of stuff, right? So I think that that aspect is is absolutely brilliant. I think the philanthropy part of it is extremely important because giving back is, I mean, everyone likes doing it. Whether they do it or not, you always like to do it. You do it even if it's putting money in for Santa Claus, right? Salvation Harvey, yeah, you got a couple cents. What's the What's the harm? And I think teaching that aspect, it was taught to me by one of my mentors, David Meltzer. You always, always, always should include something with philanthropy. I think that's, you know, it it, it never hurts. It always helps. And it could bring in a completely different audience and a, and a completely different part to yourself. And obviously, financial literacy. I mean, even in eighth grade, I was asking, like, why? I don't know what a mortgage is. Could someone explain that to me? Because I think it's something that I'm going to deal with for about 30 years, depending. Uh, hopefully, God willing. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things. I think that is awesome, too. 
And I think all five of those things are absolutely fantastic. Now, I am curious, with the landscape changing constantly, right? We've already we've already seen kind of the a huge wave. We just saw a report. I don't know if I totally believe it. Texas Tech or Texas A&M offered a quarterback like $14 million. But, like, I don't know. That sounds a little ridiculous. Like, the wave is going to continue to come up and down. Like, it sounds like, as you said, this isn't just for athletes. It's for everybody. But how do you make sure that it isn't all-encompassing for the Quinn Ewers of the world that's going to sign that million dollar contract, but it's also encompassing for the the girl on the football, or I'm sorry, the girl on the volleyball team, right at a D three school, who can still take advantage of some of this local stuff. How do you make it so that everyone can really take something away from this? Yeah, you know, so I think the landscape is is pretty well laid out for us right now. So we say that the top two percent of the kids in college, first of all, there's almost five hundred thousand student athletes in college in America today. All right. So that's a lot of kids. That's division one, two and three plus NAI and junior college. Um, so the top two percent go to a power five school where they have an NIL department, not just a person. They have a group of people. Right. They have huge collectives, which is really a booster club on steroids. That's what a yeah, collective yeah, is. Right. Come on. That Thank are, you for being honest. I appreciate yeah, that. I mean, let's just that's what it is. Um, so those kids are probably pretty well taken. You know, the Ewers kid is, is a good example or the quarterback at you know, Alabama or the quarterback at Ohio state, you know, and, and while they probably could use my class, they probably are going to be asked to with for minimal deliverables to get their money. Okay. So let's take the top 2% and say that they are going to be well taken care of. They could still use my class, but my class is really designed for the 98% below that, right. To the, for the, the student athlete, the male or the female, whatever the sport is, look, there are stories of non power five schools there are stories of non-revenue sports the number one nil deal maker in the country right now is a small college football player out of norfolk state raekwon smith he's got 73 nil deals you're never going to see him on television he won't play on television so he's figured out how to do it you know there's a lacrosse player that's making two hundred thousand dollars a year he's in he's a division one lacrosse player at a big 10 school but you know it can be done my class probably will help them, but my class is for the kid that's looking for 500, 1,000, 1,500 a month, you know, that wants to build a business, that wants to build a personal brand and create brand relationships and understand the art of negotiation and contracts and build a well-rounded program um, and has an entrepreneurial spirit. That's probably who my audience is geared towards. And I think that's awesome, and it's extremely important. And I think people people lose sight of the the long term in this, right? It's good to have a relationship with the brand. It's just like there's never a bad thing, right? Whether that's a potential job out of college, whether that's a potential long term deal that you know you could become a, an ambassador. Your social following expected to only go up over time, right? Like it's it's going to continue to increase, especially throughout college. So the opportunity, you know, if, if you know, um, I brought it up on a, a recent episode that we did with another NIL company that that uh, that does something uh, very different than what you guys are doing, but still doing awesome stuff. You know, that, that kid from St. Peter's, I'm here in New Jersey, right? St. Peter's, Doug, his name was Doug. And now he signed all these cool ass deals and he's doing all this stuff. He's like the most inconspicuous guy. He did have a sweet mustache. Got to give him that. But he's just like the most inconspicuous guy. They just went on this crazy run. And now all of a sudden he has all these opportunities. Is he going to the NBA? Sorry, Doug. Most likely not. Who the hell am I? I'll root for you. But at the same time, now he has all these relationships. Now he has this network. Now people want to meet him. Now people want to talk to him. Only good things. If you take advantage of it, only good things are going to happen from that. So that person that only wants to make 500 bucks a month, 
Well, maybe they're talking to three, four different brands. Maybe those brands can see an opportunity to bring them and that person in to talk to their athletes in the future, right? It's, it's that aspect that I think the long-term, a lot of these students, and hey, when I was 18, hand up, probably didn't have the most long-term out, outlook. But hopefully that is something that the students can take advantage of because I think that's where they're going to make all their money, right? It's after college. Yeah, it's cool they're making a couple bucks now, but, but wait till you're making 100 grand coming out of college. I agree. And so, you know, what we've done now is we've taken, you know, my original vision and it's grown, Michael. So we now call ourselves an athlete focus center of excellence. And what that means is we want to create a curriculum and a lifetime engagement starting at age 16. So that's juniors and seniors in high school through the recruiting process, college decision process. And I think as of today, there's 15 states that allow NIL. Obviously, work with them through college. But then the next part is post-career guidance, right? So 16 to 61 is our philosophy. And we want to have things like networking, things like, you know, raising capital to invest in businesses, uh, a deep dive into networking, a deep dive into entrepreneurial opportunities. And so, you know, again, the life life, uh, skills component of this, but on a massive scale. And um, we really think that long-term, the players NIL can create that platform. I love that. People want to meet the offensive lineman on the football team. Like the backup, like you're still wearing the jersey. I'm still watching the football games. Like I still want to meet that person. So there is a lot of cachet and there's a lot of social currency that these athletes need to understand that they're going to have for a four to five year stretch, whether they do or do not go to the big leagues. There's still a huge, huge opportunity for them. And it sounds like you guys are doing an incredible job at laying out in equity. Always ask for equity. I'm sure you're very familiar with that, Mark. Always ask for equity because that's how you actually get rich, right? That's how you actually get rich. Uh, My last question for you, with the landscape constantly changing, how are you guys updating the information? How are you guys looking at it and making sure that you're staying relevant with the news, with the time, and making sure that you're not falling behind in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, it's a good question because NIL is changing every day. I mean, you could rewrite. You could, you know, I get up in the morning or in the middle of the night and look at my phone and Oh, well, this is where we're going here. I, I think the core competency of the class will stay forever, you know, for the foreseeable future. No question about it. The answer to the question is we're going to have an ongoing membership model, this a la carte uh, menu of classes where we will have an update on the, la- the legal, update on tax implications, update on contracts, update on, you know, opportunities. And we're going to showcase student athletes that are doing things. So case studies, right? So we'll be able to see hey, the volleyball player at Pepperdine did this. That's a great idea. I can replicate that at South Carolina or or wherever it is, right? And so um, I think that ongoing membership model will be where the most current information is. And, of course, the core five pillars will need to be updated from time to time. Understandable. Yeah, I think that community aspect, athletes learning from each other, right? I think that's an awesome way to do it, especially, hey, this is how she did it. You could try something similar throw your own spin on it, see if that works. Um, And I guess, so this is actually my actual last question because you're a man of business. You understand how this stuff works. If you guys don't make money, you can't help people. So uh, what are the, it sounds like membership opportunities. So tell me a little bit about how athletes can get involved and get, uh, you know, understand a little bit more about what you guys got going on. Right. So the name of the company is the players NIL and it's the players NIL.com. And most of what I talked about, the, the strategy and the company offerings are all on that website. It's called the Five Pillars course. You can register right there. It's an individual class sold directly to the consumer. Um, it's a self-learning uh, project, so you can start it and stop it whenever you want. Uh, if you go from start to finish, it's about five hours worth of content, okay? And so 
you know, the players NIL.com. You can follow us on social at the same handle. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, and we're going to be around for a while. So I, I hope the, that we can engage as many people as possible. I love the sound of that, Mark. This has been absolutely fantastic. Sincerely appreciate it. I'll put the links, I'll put uh, socials and everything in the show notes for everyone that is watching so they can make sure to go check that out. But Mark, time's the only thing we don't get more of. So I appreciate you giving me some of yours, giving some of your time to the listeners, obviously, and the listeners checking us out and being here. Um, one more time. Let's see if I can do it. Mark Kester, he's the founder of the Players NIL. How'd I do? Awesome. Perfect. You're Close good. Uh, you're, you're coachable. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Mark. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Michael.